driving into the crossroads of sports and politics. We are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So welcome to our annual season-ending Rantapalooza. I say that to people who will not fact-check us. It is a overcast but lovely day, Sunday morning here in New London, Connecticut. And I am going to start the rant with somebody who I think we just talked about just a little while ago. West Virginia coach Bob Huggins was arrested uh, for a DUI last Friday, um, Friday previous to this week, around 8.30 p.m. Um, he was uh, he had shredded a tire. They, they opened the car door. There were dozens and dozens of empty uh, beer bottles um, in, in the front seat. He blew a 2.1, for those of you uh, not good at math. Nice. It's That's impressive. 0. 0.08 uh, is the um, <laughs> is, is the legal limit. So he was roughly 237.5% over ballpark, that. Ballpark. Yeah, ballpark. I could do math in my head um, because I was raised that way. And there were no calculators. It wasn't like we chose to. It was this or an abacus. And... Um, he was then resigned, uh, from his position. We might remember just recently, he, uh, used a gay slur on the podcast talking about Notre Dame. Um, meanwhile, this seems to be a bridge too far for several people. Uh, a, Petition came out. We, the West Virginia Union Mountaineers, alumni, donors, fans, and friends, request the immediate restatement, reinstatement of Coach Bob Huggins. It goes on. This was the the, the uh, forum they use was change.org, which is used primarily to fundraise for liberal <laughs> election liberal yeah. liberal candidates and policies. But change change.org, open for business if you would like to get a uh, person uh, back just because, you know, despite the fact he's a racist and has had his second DUI in a 10-year period. It also has, like, the credibility of when a kindergartner tells you a fact they learned. <laughs> yes. Right. Change, change.org, right. It's, uh, right. You're, you're, if you pay, your, your opinion counts. Um, and then his daughter jumped in. His daughter, who is not named Karen, but should be, jumped in and wrote, among other things, to Gordon G. and your board, be better and do better. Throwing stones at glass houses is not how you represent such a great university, um, thus becoming the first person ever who retreated, called West Virginia University a great university. Treating someone like they don't matter after they have given their whole heart and soul to your university, question mark. It is, it is a university that accepts sentence fragments as English. Um, you could have chosen, you could have helped, but chose to turn your backs. She then mentions, remember the $24 million practice facility that was not in any way funded by the university, the $70 million into your hospitals for cancer research, Bob Huggins, notably not involved in cancer research. And she then said he is a one in a thousand year coach. Um, it would take him a thousand years to win a national title probably, right? 
So make a Final Four. <laughs> <laughs> once in a 40-year career, make yeah. a Final Four. Didn't a few uh. years ago, like, he had that offense that was supposed to be innovative, like the run and gun kind of thing, and then people just figured it out. Because he probably had two of the top five recruits in the country, and he couldn't, he couldn't figure it out. He, I, he has never he, been to a university where academics was an issue. Um, like, not, trend, yeah, not coaching Stanford, not coaching Duke. Oh, it's... Not coaching UConn, <laughs> like he couldn't get anybody. Thank you. I mean, anybody can get into his his universities, where they then would lose in the Sweet Sixteen on the Goodyear. But regardless, they had no choice but to fire him, and somehow, sixty-nine-year-old white men who are rich—he's worth twelve million dollars net. Despite oh, by the way, favorite fact. His daughter says one of his hobbies is collecting cans and bottles. So, like, well, sea glass? <laughs> like, what, is he, what the fuck is that, though? Like, like he Pepsi is, cans? while. Not what, beer cans. Yeah, beer cans. While one Slips. guy, yeah. Cool. While, while one guy is going through the dumpster talking to, to the Kaiser looking for, for, glass, uh, for cans, he's um, trying to figure out the perfect zone press while he's looking for cans and bottles. It's such a weird story. No one has ever been more. T- the fact that Bob Huggins is still in college basketball life is a national disgrace. And the fact that we can't get him out without an uproar is telling. He's basically gotten to minus the championships, minus the the universal universal acclaim. He's basically gotten to like that Beheim Shashevsky like. Oh, he's won nine hundred games at, at the one level, and he's he's great. He's awesome. But yeah, is he like Cincinnati? Two years at Kansas State, back to West Virginia, West Virginia, where he, I believe is an alum of West Virginia. Um, that would track. He, <laughs> he's never won shit. Like, he's never won a title. He's been a. I think he went to one Final Four in the early nineties, like thirty plus years ago, at, at Cincinnati. Um. He's got, all the, he's got West, all the negatives of Bobby Knight, but without the resume. West, Vir- West Virginia, exactly. West exactly. Virginia is like a perennial 7, 8, or 9 seed the thing in is the like, tournament and, every year. And before him, it was like John Beeline. And John Beeline went to the NBA. John Beeline went to Michigan. <laughs> then he went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Bob Huggins is not going to a higher Michigan. He's not going to the NBA. Uh, <laughs> Bob Huggins is the classic example of... Fuck up and move he's up. The, he's Fuck the pe- up and move up. <laughs> he's That's the Peter, so well said. He's the Peter Principle. He got, he got to where he can go, and it's a little above his head. <laughs> For sure. For my rant, I am going to talk uh, about another candidate in the clown car of excrement we are uh, knowing as the Republican primary, as Miami Mayor Francis Suarez has jumped into the race uh, to be president. Francis Suarez, mayor of Miami. Uh, <laughs> let me talk about this guy for a second. He has had multiple corruption investigations uh, because in one case, he served as a consultant to a construction company on a building project that he awarded the contract to. So he awarded money to himself. What he is most famously known for is being a massive proponent of cryptocurrency. Uh, he had been on conferences with Sam Bankman Freed from FTX, who is now going to prison after bankrupting himself and 
Everyone he met. And everybody he met and thousands of other people. He at uh, least has a place to stay. Most of the people who invested in him won't. Yeah. And Suarez uh, has said that we need a Bitcoin president, that we need a crypto president. <laughs> uh, he went so far as to work with a Bitcoin exchange company called City Coins to mint or mine, I guess, is the correct term for cryptocurrency, a coin called Miami Coin, which he said could be purchased by people with by residents of Miami with a certain percentage going to the city of Miami and a certain percentage going to the person itself. He went on Fox News to say that this was going to provide dividends that he could give to all the members, all the residents of Miami in a cryptocurrency wallet and went even farther and said that this would eliminate the need for taxes altogether. He was so into it that he said he was going to take his salary in cryptocurrency. He didn't. He only has about $11,000 in cryptocurrency. But Miami Coin uh, went out and lost 99% of its value <laughs> immediately. Uh, so it is not getting rid of taxes and it is not uh, going to be paying dividends. It is worthless. It's worth like point, I think it's like one one millionth of a percent or something right now. Um, <laughs> not what you want. But he's, he announced he's running for president. This is the guy Ron DeSantis didn't scare out of the race. <laughs> like, the whole thing was supposed to be Trump versus DeSantis. DeSantis hasn't scared a mayor in a corrupt mid-level city in his own state from announcing. Is this the low point or the high point of the Republican primary? The lowest point in the highest point will be when Donald Trump gets the nomination and may or may not be free to go there. Right? I mean, oh, yeah. Right, that, that may be the lowest and highest point. It is the inevitable point of the Republican primary. The people who, I mean, the people who think they could win is yeah. kind of staggering. I, most of these people, I couldn't pick out of a police lineup. Do they actually think they can win? No, this guy is running a crypto. This guy books. is running a crypto but grift. Even the more serious ones, like the the, the Tim Scotts and the Nikki Haley right. thinks she can win. Yeah, the Tim Scott. Tim Scott's about to write a book and become a millionaire. If he's not already a millionaire, yeah. right? Also, weird thing about Tim Scott, maybe a virgin. So, no one's going to ask. He, him. Is he not married? He's not kids. Not married, and he talked uh, to a group like ten years ago about. Uh, abstinence and how to save yourself for marriage, and that's what he's going to do. And the reporter asked him if he's a virgin, and he said uh, yes. And yeah, I, I somebody's got to ask him. Mike, Mike, was it Michael Green? Who's the player? It was Michael Green, right? Or, uh, AC Green. AC Green. AC Green. AC oh, Green. Right? Famous, famous virgin. Right. Alert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something alarm here. Um, I have cryptocurrency has been in in the news in our life for. 10 years now? About 10 years. It, it's been longer, but it hit like mainstream right. really like five years ago. I did not understand it 10 years ago. I do not understand it today. I don't understand how it's any different from itchy and scratchy bucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like money, but fun. Yeah, it seems to be pointless. <laughs> and everyone I've ever known who lectured me on it is 
A, white, B, under 40, and C, broke because they put all their money in cryptocurrency, uh, a whole bunch of corrections officers. Yes. AC Green. <laughs> Didn't think we'd get an AC Green call back. Imagine playing with, like, Magic Johnson and Kareem and, like, James Worthy and just being, like... <laughs> the guy's uh, name was uh, Magic uh, Johnson. Get, he was get, getting I'm some. getting canceled for this. <laughs> but, yeah, just imagine being in that locker room and that, and that vibe without just having intercourse with the woman. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Next rant. I spent my Friday at the Travelers Championship at the TBC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut. Uh, about 40 minutes from here. What's the drive? At 45? 45. 45 minutes? Like yeah, it, I drive by it on my way to work all the time. It's right in your neck of the woods. I yep. almost I almost, I almost, shot you a text yesterday. I'd be like, hey, you want to grab a beer? And I, was like, I, I was in New London. <laughs> and I knew that, so I didn't shoot the text. <laughs> anyway, uh, this event, um, this year for the first time, it's an elevated event on the PGA Tour to combat the Saudi thing. Uh, $20 million purse, $3.6 million to the winner. Um, listen, I've been to this tournament, I would estimate, 20 times in my lifetime, um, 20 years. You know, I remember there's a, there was a time where the highlight of the field, Tiger never has, has and will never play this tournament. Phil played, like, Phil won it a couple times, early, to, early 2000s, years ago. Often when the tournament's like the U.S. Open is a week before and it's in New York and it's like, oh, I'll go play this. And he won it twice. Um, but the field was never anything to, to to scoff at. It was always just kind of a lot of mules, a lot of just like rank and file tour players, not stars, you know, select few. Since Travelers took over in 2007, like the field's gotten better. Travelers has really put a lot of money into this event. And it's now an elevated event where last year Xander Schauffele won it for one point five million, and now the winner this year three point six million. That's it's a big, big price hike, big, big pay jump. Um, good, had, for, good for Connecticut because we they have, to pay in, they have to pay income taxes on it. Had a great time. Had a grand total of two beers and about six waters, and paid the money for it because I'll tell you what, you see that twenty the twenty million dollar purse. Overall, and it's like all of the beer consumed, <laughs> all of like the water consumed. You're paying six dollars for a bottle, twenty uh, twenty ounce bottle of Dasani. Yeah, they're definitely making their money. Um, it's a cool golf course. It's a great event. I will say that, like, to to compare the field quality this year and in recent years. Versus past years. I remember when it was... I remember going when it was the Canon, the camera sure. company. Good offered open. Three years of, like, Buick. When Buick yep. sponsored, like, five events on the tour. I remember when it was the Sammy Davis Jr. Open. What to, exactly. It was, like, the Bob Hope, like, Danny Thomas. Like, it was Sam, Sammy, Sammy Davis, Davis Jr. Yep. Sammy Davis, yeah. Um, it's cool that we have this event that is really, like, every, everybody's there. Every, literally everybody on the tour is there. Minus Jordan Spieth. And his wife was expecting a child this week. That's why he's not there. But minus Jordan Spieth, like, literally, uh, these groups, like, Scotty Scheffler and Tony Finau and John Rahm all playing together. It's like, world's number one, two, and 14 in the world. Everybody's there. The fact is that if you juxtapose this event, my experience as, as a spectator on a Friday, versus the U.S. Open, the National Championship of American Golf, and where there's 30,000 people there every day, but it's like 22,000 are like 
it's just it's members and their and their and their friends. I will say this: this event it's it's a it's a it's a real community thing. Like the license plates, it's like people come from Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, all of New England, tri-state area. It's the one event on the tour this year that is in the Northeast. There's not even one of the FedEx Cup events is not. It generally comes in the Northeast in, in August. There's not one in the Northeast. It was kind of mind-boggling to me that like this is the the PGA Tour that has all this money involved. There's one event that is a Northeast based. It's this event. It's great field, big money, but they don't come here for any other event to the Northeast, let alone but for the travelers. Not it's not a playoff event. It's a great event. Um, interesting. The economics are like. You get it because again, there are they expect two hundred thousand plus people during the week, so that's fifty thousand per day essentially. Fifty thousand is approximately like three quarters of like a of a of a football stadium on a Sunday in the fall. It's a community event, and the fact that the LACC couldn't get that right, twenty thousand more people per day at the Traveler Championship, the old GHO, as we know it, than the U.S. Open. This event really matters in Connecticut. It is, it, is an, it is an important event here, and the fact that the field was as good as it was, like, it makes sense, but, you know, you'd like to think that it's not just for a money grab. It's the fact that this event does kind of matter to the community, and the fact that 20 years ago, when it was kind of an also-ran, it was, it was they struggled post-canon, it was Buick, again, like I said, when Buick kind of sponsors everything on the tour, that Travelers has put, and again, an insurance company, not something I want to, like, you know, thank you, Travelers, for your, for your work. You know, it, it, the fact that the Northeast has a pillar PGA Tour event, it's the Travelers. It's in Cromwell, Connecticut. It's a stone's throw from the home of, of Ed Levy. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my favorite tournament of the year. Um I love watching it. It's it's something for Connecticut to be proud of and celebrate. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, watching Mark O'Mara and Nota be Nota be gay, two time winner, Nota yeah, be gay. fighting it out Let's coming go. down the 18th. Um, you know, and I try to go to this every year. Uh, you know, Andrew, you and I have been to this tournament together. It's for sure uh, a great pull up, pull up close to personal with Paulina Gretzky. Yeah, watch, yeah, watching DJ put it out and turning around and seeing you know a supermodel just standing there. Uh, but it re- like the announcers, the, the players, they've all talked about how good of an atmosphere that this course is, uh, that it is like a very community-based. And I think it's because Connecticut is such a small state that it's easy to get to from Massachusetts. So, you know, Keegan Bradley, who's from Massachusetts, currently in the lead. Had huge crowds with him on, crowds. on Friday. Had yeah. huge crowds He's, he's going to have a lot of people there from Massachusetts today. You know, there's going to be a lot of people from Connecticut there. It's kind of, if you play or follow golf in Connecticut, it's a little bit of like a rite of passage to go to the Travelers and experience it once. And seeing all of these guys, you know, especially my favorite golfer, Rory McIlroy, uh, came last year, came this year. Uh, the announcers talked about how big of a following he has in Connecticut. And it's just like, I think he'll play this tournament every year because, like, we show up just to support him. It's, for those people who do not know Cromwell, Connecticut, this 
course, is not easily accessible. It's on a back road. Um, there are not a million hotels in that area. Um, I mean, you can get to a Hartford or West Hartford. It's still not that kind of place. Um, but people do want to show up. The players do want to show up because they could shoot a 57 or so. Like, you know, I mean, that's in the, in the realm of possibility. Um, my big bone of contention with the course is the most fun hole in the course is the 15th, which is a drivable par four. And I don't mean drivable for these guys. I mean, you two would drive it. Could drive it. Zach, Zach could. I, I, I'm laying up, but, but Zach could definitely drive it. But <laughs> if, the problem is, if you go, you can't go right because there's a tree there. So you go left, and it slopes toward the water, and then they make the green, the the rough, incredibly high, so it never goes into the water. <laughs> it would be just way more fun if the ball could roll in the water. You'd have to make difficult choices, but it is a great event. There's only three events that matter in this state in sports. There's always a first round and second round NCAA women's mm-hmm. tournament pod because we're the only state that really cares about women's basketball to the extent we do. And this, that's it. That's what we got. I mean, UConn games or something, but in terms of just national events, it's just not its not something we have, and it's uh, fun to have. So, sure. uh a civil war almost happened over uh, this past week. It took about two days. Pretty exciting. Very exciting. You say, you say almost <laughs> happened. I, like, well, sure they changed their mind. Um, ah. The Wagner Group, a weird name for a Russian paramilitary operation, but it's a paramilitary operation under the auspices of, has been under the op- auspices of Vladimir Putin. He gave, um, I am not even going to attempt the name of the person. Pergozin, okay. Um, a man, an oligarch who became wealthy because all of the Russian national events were catered by his catering company. So uh, he has made the the common transition from appetizers to armaments and has built, I just thought of that right now, nice. and nice. Um, built this Wagner Group, which has been responsible for many of the atrocities that has have happened in the Ukraine, because Putin could then say, ah, you know, it's an independent group. I don't I don't really have that much. Not only the Ukraine, also like Africa. Yeah, oh, in Africa, all over the place. They, Syria, they've been everywhere over the last 20 years. And it seems something so foreign, so weird to us to have an army and then this private army that's just fighting alongside next to you. But it shouldn't. Because we have academy. It's the word academy now spelt with an I because it's fancy. Uh, But they used to be Blackwater. And it is run by Eric Prince, Betsy DeVos's brother, a man who earned his money the old-fashioned way. He inherited it. And Blackwater mercenaries have fought all throughout the world. Eric Prince was on the Tucker Carlson show while Tucker Carlson still had a show and was highly critical of not allowing Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, to let him stop the Russian attack of the Ukraine because he could have sent 140 of his aircraft. So he has 140 fighter jets at his disposal. It was famously, the Bush administration famously did not think twice about anything Blackwater did. 
They never criticized them. Didn't Cheney have like an ownership stake in them? Oh yeah, he was a big. That's right. Yeah. Cheney was a big. It was, Let's I, not forget that. Cheney was a big stockholder in Blackwater, and like the Wagner Group, they were responsible for serious human rights abuses. And in fact, four people were jailed for committing for murdering seventeen people and injuring, oh, murdering fourteen Iraqis and killing seventeen others. All civilians because they broke into a home and just opened fire on the people there. This took place in 2007 during the Bush administration. They were not arrested during or convicted during the Bush administration. They were arrested and convicted during the Obama administration. And then they were pardoned by one Donald Trump who said that they should never have been in jail and thought it was a disgrace that this had happened. I say this in part because we've all been kind of smirking and confused about the Wagner uh, rebellion. And meanwhile, we have basically the same exact thing in this country. I also say this because I got into, I didn't even get into an argument because I just lost so much respect for the person who said it, who said that uh, Trump was actually a kinder and better president than Biden has been. Biden would not have pardoned those four gentlemen because they were murderers and they should have been in jail. Biden has famously cut funding to Blackwater. And Eric Prince goes on Fox and complains about it. But we're not that much different, and this could happen here. And I would hate to see what would happen if in a Trump 2024 presidency if he was voted out in 2028 and had access to a private military. Yeah, I mean, you know, Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex in, like, what, 55? Uh, 59. It was, 59. It was after he lost. I mean, after he was decided to leave. Yeah. I and believe. It's, and it's only gotten worse. I mean, Blackwater, like you said, committed awful atrocities in Iraq. The thing about the Wagner group that, is wild to me is that uh the guy marched on moscow and now he is being exiled to belarus with his army with his army can you imagine if eric prince marched on dc and then we were just like go live in toronto and he just did it Um, it, we we have not we have people in the in the senate who were part of the insurrection yeah and continue to serve yeah. So, yes, I can't imagine that. But we just, we would never tell him to go live somewhere else. We just. Exile's a weird thing. Yeah, we, we just let him, We just go, all right, you can continue doing what you're doing. Yeah. I understood when Oedipus was exiled, but, like, this is weird. That's weird. He's just going to have a, he's going to have a military just somewhere else. Right. It's, just, it's, I can't get over the fact that it, it's like a civil war within a war. Like, there's a war, an ongoing war, and there's this internal civil war going on. Uh, inside of that. It's a Russian thing. It happened in 17. Yeah. Where the troops coming back from the World War One joined the communists and attacked the government. Yeah. You get all these like kind of once in a once in a life multiple lifetime things happening like where you get like this global pandemic and um, among other things and then you get this like basically like the a Russian revolution that's ongoing. Big, big early 1900s vibes. What a, yeah. what a world. What a world. Ru- Russia has not changed one bit 
in a thousand years. No, they're too big. <laughs> I think, I think, it's just it's a national mentality. Why have the Russians never broken through in golf? They've broken through in tennis, obviously hockey, and like because it's sports. because it's never nine, golf because it's nine degrees in Russia for eighty percent of the year. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so for my rant, I'm going to talk about what is probably the most exciting thing happening in baseball right now, which is red shortstop Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, he came onto the scene in his debut, hitting. A triple, right? He had a triple that he got to sec. He got to third base in about ten point three seconds or something like. Baseball that. has not seen a faster player ever. He he <laughs> he so he hit a he hit a ball. To, he hit a ground ball to first base the other day and beat out the first baseman to hit a single. I mean that is unheard of. I thought the fastest player I'd ever seen was another red, Deion Sanders. Uh, we saw him at Shea Stadium and saw him hit a triple on a ball that nobody thought he was going to third on. And Ellie De La Cruz is beating out every every hit. Uh, he, last night or two nights ago, well, this last week when he listened to this podcast, uh, hit for the cycle in his, he, it's his second week in the majors, and he hit for the cycle, which is a single, double, triple, and a home run. He also added a stolen base, which should be an additional thing in baseball that they call, uh, because that is more impressive than just a cycle. And he seems to be, with the pitch clock and now his kind of energy, reinvigorating like the Cincinnati Reds fan base. They've won, or they went on about an 11-game win streak. Uh, I know Laura saw a clip of him, and we're buying tickets to see to go see uh, the Reds play the Mets in September, basically to just go see Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, is this what baseball needs to kind of like get back in as these young, exciting talent? It's a really like proud, great franchise and, a, and kind of a second city, a city that you don't necessarily think of as like a hub for, for greatness. But you see like the Bengals have had this like, and again, the Bengals haven't, spent a long, a long time in their existence, like a slapdick, like second rate, just kind of also ran. But the Reds, the big red machine, and before that, um, the Reds kind of go on this. What are they? They had like a twelve, a double digit game 12. win streak, twelve game win streak. Yeah, they lost, they, they they broke last night. Dela Cruz is kind of like the as the as the starter of that. I was going through their baseball reference page the other night and looking at the lineup, and I'm just like, I don't know who any of these fucking guys are. But I also noticed that like all of their they have their ages, and it's like they're all in their twenties. Dela Cruz is what twenty one. He's twenty one. Watching him like run out like a ground ball. I'm just like there's that this is a fast fast fucking dude. Like an old man Joey Votto who has been a great Hall of Fame player for like 15 years there. Where the Reds haven't been very good in the last 15 years. Um but it's kind of cool to see like Dela Cruz with a guy like Votto who's like an again, I think he's a Hall of Fame level player who had been toiling in this city and uh, for this franchise. Um the Reds kind of it's it, it's a cool renaissance if you will that Dela Cruz is like the proponent of. He is a six foot five inch shortstop, which I also don't think's ever happened. That's insane. Uh, um, he be playing like shooting guard. Yeah, because NBA. because um, the biggest shortstop I can ever think of is is Ripken, who is six four, little tick, maybe a tick under six four. He's six five, two hundred. Um, not sure how long he's going to be able to play shortstop because he's going to fill out. But still, it is incredible. In sixteen games, 
He has 18 runs, 23 hits, 10 home, I mean, uh, 10 RBIs, three homers, and eight steals. His OPS is 1.104. But I was saying before the podcast, the thing that got me about this is his wins above replacement so far is 0.8. What does it take for, for a, 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 a regular infielder to score, to have to get a win above replacement. Do you think like the normal guy they 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 would have won twelve in a row? It doesn't seem like a reasonable thing. It's a cumulative stat. The fact that he's only played like what 16, 18 games. Yeah, but you, is, can't, you can't get one in sixteen games. Like like what what is a normal? If he if he gets to like five in like seventy games, that's like absurd. Like five five WAR is like that. That is an all star level season. Eight is an MVP season. The fact that he's gotten to point oh eight in his short sample size is yeah, honestly just, kind of impressive. It just made me really think about war <laughs> as a statistic because I'm not criticizing it because it's very hard to dominate a game in which you're only batting four times and you may not see the ball in the field very much. Um, but uh, it it just seems so strange. I mean, he start, he arrives, they win twelve in a row. But if you like prorate that number over one sixty two games, that's like been a, ten ten plus. Which well, is, eight. It'll be eight. And eight is also that is considered an MVP level season. Yeah. Do we, like, knowing he has eight steals in 16 games already, how quick he is, he's only going to get quicker. Are we looking at somebody who maybe for the first time could attack Ricky Henderson's stolen base record? No. Never going to happen. It's like, it's so it, it's not played, him. It's the way the game's played. And he, he like, played so long. He also. No, no, no. The, in a single season. single season. No, even then. The year he stole 134, he was thrown out 37 times. They estimate. That that the 134 extra bases, but 37 extra outs is the equivalent of about one run. The Reds, if you assume the Reds are going to be like a pennant race in the NL Central, like you have to kind of think that they kind of have nothing to play for now. So like, just cut them loose, just let them run, let them let them steal bases. And you think, and I'm not saying this is right, but just how they'll uh, you know approach it philosophically is like if they're in a pennant race in September, like they might not be so aggressive letting him kind of like steal bases too. Correct. And I'm not saying that's right. No, I think it's... It, it, but I, I, I it's think man, managers get much more cautious when they're in the thick of it. Yeah, it's statistically um, it's statistically wise. Yeah. All right, go ahead. So, yeah, playing the hits here. We got PJ Tour and let's talk about the UConn basketball because we had the NBA draft this week and you had um, three, so three, three pillars of the UConn championship team. You had Jordan Hawkins, shooting guard. Uh, go 14th overall to the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that's a pretty good landing spot for him. I always root for like guys in college that I root for to like go to like just good situations. I think the Pelicans and obviously Zion Williamson situation is huge, like an e- e- enormous question mark. But and Zion Williams is enormous. He's enormous, right? <laughs> right, it makes sense. Um, but I like the fact that Hawkins went went there. Um, you have. Andre Jackson Jr., the the captain, the leader of this team, second round pick, goes to the the Magic draft him. The Magic had a rough draft, but the Magic trade him, trade that pick to the Bucks. So here's Andre Jackson going to go play with Giannis, and I'm not sure Middleton will be there, but Drew Holiday's there. Um, great. Adama Sanago went undrafted, which is kind of like disappointing, silly. Also, like like this guy, like I don't know, the most outset. And I'm not, this is not a rant that's meant to facilitate a debate about like the utility of uh, going pro 
in the G League or or uh, overtime elite or overseas versus college basketball. I'm not having that fucking debate here. I'm not doing it as much as some of us might want to have it. Um, but the fact that he uh, undrafted and was signed within literally hours, the Chicago Bulls signed him to a two-way deal, uh, Sonogo. Um, That's a good spot. It is a good spot. And when you think about, like, Connecticut, UConn, and, like, and Dan Hurley, Jonathan Giveney, who who's, who uh, covers the NBA draft and does it year-round for ESPN, he releases a way too early, and it's always the way too early 2024 mock draft. And he's got – so UConn just loses three guys, two guys to the draft, three guys to go pro, whatever. Releases way too early mock draft. Two UConn players in the top ten. You've got Donovan Klingon, the big backup center to Sonogo last year, who is was seven two last year, and there's reports that he's you know he's, he's sprouted a little bit. Jack the Bean, he's you know kind of the beanstalk that he's bigger. That that pros think he's going to have a huge breakout year. You have one of the freshman recruits, Stefan Castle, one of the one, uh, you know a five star guy, uh, six foot seven inch point guard who can shoot it. They have both him and clinging in the top 10 and they're way too early mock draft for 2024 um look the point is basically like i've been kind of hitting for the last three years four years on this podcast is that you yukon is back we're here like we, we we got it we're and briefly big 12 you guys want to talk big 12 for a second um because it's a rent and it's all it's all right the Big Twelve is going to be a necessary evil. It's not a matter of it's not it's not if it's when, and the fact that UConn was one of eight programs, eight institutions that had a team in the men's and women's basketball tournaments that played a bowl game. I know Myrtle Beach Bowl, but it's still played a bowl game. Half cultural did not, uh, and we're in the uh, baseball tournament. Sixty-four teams in the baseball tournament. One of eight programs, eight institutions that had that. They have a they have a really on the rise men's hockey program. They have women's field hockey, men's and women's soccer are like solid. They have like a really solid men's and women's track program. Big Twelve money is like the money, the money. Big Twelve money is it's going to be too much to deny. Um, and I've kind of come to grips with the fact that as much as I love playing basketball in the Big East, I would love to live in a world where we just played the men and women play like Big East basketball and we're like Big 12 everywhere else. That's not, that's not a reality. Um, but the fact is UConn athletics as a whole across the board are incredibly appealing to the Big 12 and the money that the Big 12 has for UConn. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming, but I've come to grips with it. Yeah, I mean, UConn, you know, we like to say that UConn Connecticut basketball capital of the country, you know, with the women's team, got to go through UConn women if you want to win now the men's championship. But UConn uh, in this last year at the budget made a big show of saying that if they didn't get $100 million, uh, that they would need to lay off uh, staff, clerical, professors, uh, doctors, and raise tuition on students in a school that's already kind of pricey for in-state students. Uh, they didn't get their money. They had threatened to not play in the XL Center anymore. And they then turned around uh, to make Hurley the highest paid state employee ever in Connecticut. Basically $6 million a year, close yeah. to. So, I mean, I went to Eastern, which is part of the CSU system, which is 
getting cut and struggles and has been struggling for years. Um, as much as I love UConn basketball, you know, just as an institution, UConn is a fucking drain on this state and they don't manage their money and they just throw they're paying fucking uh their former football coach's dumbass tight end coach son still out of his payment. Uh Edsel, Randy Edsel's son. Not a fan of Randy Edsel. You know so Go to the Big 12, get your money, stay in the Big East, get your money. It doesn't matter. The students are going to pay the price. You, UConn's, I mean, the state's decision to fund UConn through a block grant has never worked. It will never work because their thing is give us give us more money, but don't ask us how we're spending it. Yeah. And that's, you know, the argument we make against charter schools, you can also make against UConn. I, that being said... The Big Twelve will will be helpful, and and I hope probably, UConn, they'll probably only ask for twenty five million next year. I do hope that UConn, when they eventually take that Big Twelve money, like puts it towards the right things, and not they don't just put it in their fucking uh, back pocket. We will, uh, we we will we will see. Yeah, next year's Rannapaloozas. Optimistic. So I um as as we close out the Rannapaloozas with my final one, um, on the podcast, I often say stupid things. And get things wrong. I almost always get names wrong. But if I'm going to, like, when we have a topic that we're going to discuss, or if I have a point I'm going to discuss, I'm going to do a little research. Because, you know, you find people don't deserve to have the worst of me. You you know, you don't even deserve, you know, the best of me isn't that great. So I feel bad about that. But the worst of me should not happen. Nothing generates more stupid takes, unresearched takes, um, things that are easily changeable than the NBA draft, maybe the NFL draft. And I was listening to, uh, you know, I talk a lot of shit about Bill Simmons on this podcast, but the Ringer Podcast Network, the website, are well done. In general, they're really well done. But I was listening to uh, Muscovite, uh, Kevin O'Connor, and um, inbred Chris Vernon uh, on the mismatch talking about the draft. And inbred Chris Vernon started screaming because that's the only volume he knows about the fact that Bilal Koulibaly, who played with Mwabiyamu on the uh, French uh, Metropolitan's Metropolitan's 92, yep. Um, was played the second half of the season there, was the number seven overall draft. And Vernon went on and on and on and on saying, in the history of the lottery, no player has ever averaged in their league under six points a game until uh, Koulibaly. And uh, crypto boy O'Connor kept saying, well, you have to look at it this other way because he played in a lower league. So if you take those two statistics together, it's 10, which is a terrible argument. I mean, that's just a terrible argument. You know, my GPA is 3.5 because I got a 4.0 when I was in second grade and then, you know, a 2 in college. No, that doesn't work that way. Um, 
Here's the problem. I was screaming in the car. Derek Lively, who was taken within the hour of Khalil Wally, averaged under six points a game for Duke. Like, he's making a compare. He is Chris Vernon, who is worth millions, I'm guessing. For sure. Screaming. No, he's in Memphis. So, you know. But he's been a long-term, like, Memphis voice. That and the he's, been on, he's you know. been on the mismatch for seven yeah. years now. With O'Connor, and he sucks. going on and on, it's never happened. You can't imagine a world in which somebody averages under six points a game, and with an hour later, a guy had also been picked who averaged five point two points a game for Duke. It was the same thing. It's like, well, he's got great upside. It just can you do? Can you at least? Fake the fact that this is your job. Like, we don't get paid, and we take more care. You know, I kind of alluded to this in the previous rant of, like, I don't... I, I thought a lot of the coverage, a lot of the social media coverage of the draft was very much kind of like an adversarial thing between people that support college basketball and people that uh, prefer the fact that these kids... The internationals and playing, you know, in the overtime elite and G League and whatever. And it's like, no, like, that's not what it's... A, out. It's like if 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 Brandon Miller played in the G League, he would have been awesome. And if Scoot Henderson had played at Alabama or played at any top school, he would have been awesome. It's not about the institutions. I think a guy like Vernon has a clear sort of NCAA bias, which is like stop, stop, just 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 like no, just these are 19, 20 year old kids. Like that, that's what it is with him. It's like he would he he the idea of the G League, the idea of a of, of a high school graduate. Going and playing something that's not college basketball, I guess. I, in his case, playing that not at Memphis, um, very offensive to his uh, whatever. It's no full stop. There's the, kids have options when they graduate, and the fact that he took that to 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 rank on this guy who, and again, uh, I've heard him. I've heard him called the French Scotty Pippen. I've heard him called uh, the fact that he was on on this team with Wamanyama. And playing basically with just grown men, and he turned, he turned eighteen during the season. Like, why are you shitting on him? Like, I don't, I don't, you know, because he's a he's the NCAA stan. Is what he is. Like, whatever. So I saved uh, my last rant of the season for my favorite story uh, of twenty twenty three. So for something that, uh, in a bleak world, uh, gives me some hope. Which is that orcas uh, have started ramming yachts of rich people and disabling them uh, by damaging the rudder so badly that they're just left adrift at sea. Uh, they seem to be teaching each other how to do this, uh, which is awesome. And in a tournament where some where these teams were sailing around the world, uh, orcas surrounded and attacked a Dutch sailing team ship attacking the rudder and disabling it. Uh, there are orcas in Monterey Bay. Nobody knows what they're doing there. Uh, this is some, like, Avatar way of water shit. Like, this is so great. Orcas who, you know, we're on their land. They, we, we should stay away from the sea. There is nothing but danger out there. Like, don't go into the water, don't go under the water, don't go on top of the water, just stay out of the water. Uh, 
orcas, though, are they're doing more to hold the wealthy accountable than like the IMF. <laughs> yeah, like this is fantastic. Is something I hope continues. I hope orcas worldwide are planning this. Uh, the more ships disabled, the better. Uh, this is like the plot of the happening uh, where the Earth reclaimed itself from climate change. You know, maybe that's what this is. I just, orcas are the orcas are for the people. They're the workers' whale. Uh, maybe they got a copy of Free Willy 2 and watched that and realized what an atrocity that was to their kind. You know, anything. Just, this is the best. Pre-Free Willy, you know, Hollywood made movies, like post-Jaws post pre-Free Willy. Like, orcas cool. were the antagonists. Orcas were the villains. Orcas were the killer in like a horror movie in the late seventies, early eighties, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. You you know that you are completely correct. I, I did not see it, but I remember it being in the theaters. <laughs> um they also seemingly ate the uh the, the uh, submarine guys, which is also thank you. They're just eating everything. Um Who still likes those? You you knew you know you know that this story has traction because the New York Times uh, one of the New York Times columnists put out a nagging op-ed piece. Um, no, orcas are not fighting for working people. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's acting like at 7 o'clock every night we're banging pans in favor of the orcas like we did during COVID. Like, the orcas don't know we're cheering for them. Now, uh, absolutely. Hat, hats off to the orcas and, uh, you know, and there aren't stories about them like eating Haitian canoes. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's good. We're, we're we're all in favor of the orcas, for sure. Eat the rich, eat the rich, save the orcas. Um, something that I guess is to round out here today. Um, a few weeks ago, super producer here, he put it in my head that day, and um, yeah, I want to talk about it. I was in a bar with this guy, super producer Brandon, a few weeks ago in Uncasville. Cool. Yeah, not a lot of bars up there, but we were in one. And on the TV, it was kind of a slow Sunday, like a slow like sports day. They had like a NASCAR on one TV. You had like the Canadian Open on one TV, and you had on NBC, I think it was. You had like what was called the soccer tournament, just this like seven on seven, um, basically. And it, and I come to find out later something that I love, the basketball tournament. The soccer tournament was basically like just. If you're not employed professionally as a soccer player, but you play like club level, you play whatever, you enter, you kind of kind of buy into this tournament where it's going to be like a 64 team, like knockout elimination, like and there's a million dollars up top for like you to split amongst you know yourselves. Um, and it was cool. It was kind of a, like there was like an organic so, sort of uh, just like these guys won and they it was big celebration. It's like man, this reminds me of the basketball tournament, and the basketball tournament is kind of uh, has been going on for like almost a decade. It's every, every summer you get kind of, if you're not employed with the NBA or the D League or even like a top flight European team, like you're eligible to kind of play in this thing where you just feel like, hey, we got 10 guys, we get a sponsor and we enter this tournament where like we split up a million bucks up amongst each other. And Zach, the reason why like I mentioned, like there's like, there's going to be in the basketball tournament this year. And again, it's, it's literally called the basketball tournament. I'm not being like vague here. It's called that, the tournament, the basketball tournament. Like you or I. Yeah. They had a squad, and it's fucking like yeah, Casey it, Matthews. It's all you do is EC Matthews, Matthews, yeah, and fucking uh, uh, Cyril Lingevine. Oh yeah, all, all the guys, I all think, of the, uh, the Hurley fucking uh, fun fun squad. Can't wait to I can't wait to root for them. 
and that's what that watching this soccer tournament randomly on a Sunday afternoon like reminded me of like the special tournament's like cool. The fact that like Syracuse always has a team, Bayheim's Army they call themselves. I always root against that team because I fucking hate Syracuse. I fucking hate Bayheim. But now that like you know I've seen that like, it, it's spreading to other tournaments. I kind of call for the the rise of this and like anything. Like why not just you know put up the soccer tournament, the basketball tournament. I can root against Syracuse. I can root for URI. Get some UConn guys. Get Albert Mooring. Get Edmund Sand- Saunders. Get fucking uh, Talit Brown, whoever. Clint Alamia, what's he doing? He's working at CBS Sports Network desk. Get him in this tournament. He can still go. He's probably a little paunchy you know, in, his, in his 40s, like he was in his early 20s. But shit. There's it, no it, way it, it's he's kind of a, It's kind of a cool concept where like the summer, the summer, basically post-NBA finals, pre-week one NFL, pre-week one college football, that is a down period in sports. It's it's just baseball. And baseball is great. And baseball is like night in, night out. But like it's just baseball. That's it. I think these... Something like the basketball... Something like the NBA Summer League. Something like... These things should have more of like... More attention. Unless we're just... Unless as sports fans, we're just supposed to kind of go into hibernation. Which is not my... That's not my style. Because we have the British Open coming up in golf and Wimbledon and like I'm not going to hibernation, please. But I think these these kind of upstarts, it's 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 cool to see. It's a cool thing. Anything that can increase what we can bet on, I'm all for. <laughs> like let's see a three on three hockey yeah, tournament sure. that I can bet on. Like I'd be a big fan of that. Like yeah, gotta. I'm not betting baseball, so I'm just in. My winnings from the football and basketball season are just sitting there. They're not doing anything. I've got. I've got a whole put them, got, put them on in my pocket. Put them on Go Roadie in the in the basketball yeah. tournament. I, um, I think though we should spread it outside of sports, like we do the election, and any unelected person who's never been elected gets to be in the House of Representatives representing, like, Samoa, and you just you get to be there, and you just it's just one election for everybody, or the surgery people who didn't get all the way through medical school get to perform some low-level surgeries, like, you know, not heart surgeries, but, like, you know, I got something wrong with my my right arm. If I didn't have to, like, if I if I could go on TV and have them just look at it, it would be fun. Like, just everything, like, just have a lot of people just trying out shit that, and see, you know, we'll find out who the best is. I mean, like, that's that's what reality TV is. Let's spread it out. Why do we have nine singing shows? Let's find but no, the But best, no election like- show. Well, like who the best like orthopedic surgeon, who the best general surgeon? <laughs> but you can't is. be an orthopedic yeah. surgeon. It's not on contract though. It's not getting paid. Right. It's got to. It's got to be a waiter who wants to be an well, orthopedic surgeon. We are right. also like in the, the dog days of summer, and also like a writer strike. So like, we need some content. Yeah, the here. best. Like, uh, the best dermatologist. They could have like a big dramatic reveal of like, oh, is this mole cancerous or oh, not? Oh, like, oh no, no, yeah. just regular. I have do- a couple just, that were removed. Just regular dogs doing the agility testing. You're like Stanley, like, no yes, Stanley, and and Jan's dogs just who, refusing, who just going. I don't know. What yeah, Jan's dogs who who really can't go twelve minutes without committing a crime. Uh, just let them run around. It'll, it'll be amazing. It'll be like that video. I don't know if you've seen the video about the, the dog that failed every single um support. You know how they do the support dogs? Yeah, and he failed every single test, and it was just incredible. Like. Like the guy who was walking with the walker and he hits a ball on the bottom of the walker and the dog just takes the ball and runs away with it. Yeah. Just do that stuff. We'd watch that. I'd watch that. We need TV. <laughs> Content. So with that, we are fit- wrapping up our season. 
Um, thank you for uh, everybody. We'll be back with next season next week because every season starts in July on the Bill Bradley Collective. As always, we thank you for joining us here. And if you like today's episode, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let's help grow the collective brand. We'll see you all next week on the Bill Bradley Collective. Collective.